Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Masks Off. I'm host Kim Gross. And today I have with me a guest. I have Rebecca Doring, and we're going to have such a great conversation today. I cannot wait to jump into it. But before we do, I'm going to start with a quote as I normally do. And this quote is one of Rebecca's favorites, and it's from Pema Children. And the quote is, meditation practice isn't about trying to throw ourselves away and become something better. It's about befriending who we are already. Oh, I freaking love that. I can't wait to even talk about that quote, but before I don't want to get ahead of myself. So welcome, Rebecca. Hi, thanks for having me. So excited to have you here. So why don't you, in your own words, with your own personal touch, let the listeners know who you are and a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I am. I am Rebecca Doring. I am a meditation teacher, a personal development coach. I live in the Northwest corner of Connecticut. So I live in a amazing log cabin with my husband and my cat. And this is our dream home that we found. And I am a a nature girl through and through. I love going out to eat. I'm a foodie. I love coffee. I'm a hiker, backpacker, trail runner, all that kind of good stuff. And yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I'm glad that you're here as well. So, and also just from your bio, you had a life prior to what you're doing now. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that life entailed? Yeah, sure. So I, at the, in eighth grade, I knew, so right around, I don't know, what is that? 14, 13, something like that. I was, uh, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I thought I had found my calling and that was to become a pastry chef. And I had it in my bones that I would go to the Culinary Institute of America and graduate with a degree in baking and pastry. I remember the gift I got from my eighth grade graduation from my parents was a KitchenAid mixer, which I still have today. (laughs) I love it. So it was great. Uh, but my my perspective at that time was a desire to to feel good and to enjoy life more and to get away from the the daily grind, the stress that I saw my family experience a lot. So to me, I loved baking. And so I thought, well, if you get a job doing something that you love, then that should be the the answer. That should be the that should be solving this riddle. And so I focused on that dream and I did go after that dream. And I did accomplish it. I went to the Culinary Institute. I graduated. It was an incredible experience. And I was a, I wore the badge of perfectionist, the role of perfectionist, like a badge of honor there. And it was very accepted, in fact, encouraged and almost prescribed to be a perfectionist in, in the baking industry, in that school, especially. But and it served me well at the time. It it did. It pushed me to become uh, top of my class. I graduated on the dean's list. I finished. I reached all the goals that I wanted to reach at that time. But I felt so burnt out and so disconnected and so awful inside. 
on the outside, it looked like I was smiling and, you know, I did this amazing thing, but inside I was always my biggest enemy and my biggest critic. And that left me feeling like, wait a second, I thought that this degree would solve all of my problems. And instead I have them almost even more. What is the answer? Maybe I need to change careers. So I changed careers a bunch of times, searching, searching, searching until I ended up finding the industry that I'm in now and removed the mask as it were. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So, so many things that I want to say, I want to come back to the quote, but I do want to ask this question as well, because this is a question that I think about a lot. So first of all, do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm 33. Okay. 33. And when did you start to make that transition from being in the baking world to, I have to do something different because this perfection mask is maybe like killing me, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a good question. As soon as I graduated, I started questioning my path, even though my plan was to, uh, go back to New York city and work there. Cause I had done an externship in the middle of, of school there and I loved it. So my plan was to go back there, but I had moved home and I was just so burnt out and exhausted mm. from graduation. And I just thought, all right, just give myself a little break and then I'll pick myself up and move to the city and all will be well. And shortly thereafter, I met my husband. Actually, I'm missing a whole chapter in my life. <laughs> I decided, <laughs> I realized that, wait a second, there, there was another chapter in between. And I had actually at the time was thinking maybe I need to do something different to make more money, to provide a bigger, better living. So then I looked into, well, what can I do with this degree? And one of the options was become a food writer. And I love to write. So I decided to go to school to be, to get a degree in journalism so that I could be a food writer. And so I started going to school at the local community uh, or the local university here and in Connecticut. And through that time, I was still working in the food industry. I realized that I did not like journalism. I loved creative writing. And I ended up writing a story about a woman who owned a bakery and realized I still had that dream within myself. So I decided to go back to the food industry. And that's when I started revisiting the idea of going to New York. But so to answer your question, I think by that time, I was right around the age of 23, 24, when I when it just occurred to me that the what I was doing was not sustainable, that being a creative writer was was great. I didn't finish that degree, but baking also was not sustainable. I started my my father actually was diagnosed with colon cancer at the time. And I and it was terminal. And so when I got that news, something inside of me shifted dramatically that things that were tolerable, or at least I could keep shoving behind the mask, couldn't be shoved behind anymore. And I knew something inside of me knew that if I kept going on the path that I was going, I would be heading towards a darker place. And in fact, I actually, my boss at the time who owned a bakery that I worked at, she also did, she introduced me to this world of energy and meditation. And she told me that Right then I had linked myself to my father's journey. And if I stayed that way, his pain would become my pain and it would take me down a very dark path. Or 
I could choose to realize that his journey is his and my journey is mine and have my own experience, but also walk down a more intentional path. And that was a life-changing piece of advice that I received in that moment because that helped me really start to decide that, wait a second, I need something else here. This isn't sustainable. If I'm going to survive this sickness in my family and still just be my own individual person and, and not be extremely traumatized by it and instead learn from it and experience it, then I need more tools. And that's how I started shifting out of it. Oh my gosh. I love, love this conversation. Oh my God. Um, so, okay. One of the questions that I often have now I am 54. So I have been on like, my trajectory has been a little bit different. It's been a long journey, like 25 years ago, I started on a journey to personal growth and self-exploration. And it's been just a lot of, um, plugging away and persevering to get to where I am now. And I, and I have a 23 year old and a 20 year old. So I often wonder, and based on what you just shared, it's very interesting to me because I've wondered if people have to go through their twenties and thirties in the egoic sense, in the ego mind. And that if they're going to wake up, that they may, that they really don't or won't wake up until maybe later, you know, in life, like it happened for me. So I'm always wondering, can my kids, you know, wake up at an earlier age? And you're saying in your situation, you were in your mid twenties, when you got that piece of advice, you took that piece of advice, you pivoted and you went down a different path. And that's incredible and very hopeful, you know, very, very hopeful for the new generation. And I do see, and I have to say, I do see where my kids are way more self-aware than I was when I was their age. They're way more self-aware and awoke and woke awake than I was at that point in time. So I do see where there's a shift, but I wonder if you have any more to add to that? Or do you feel like you were just really kind of quote unquote lucky if that's such a thing? You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. It's, it's interesting. Well, for starters, my first thought with you and, and your kids is that your self-awareness changes the way your nervous system is functioning and processing things. And your kids will automatically be programmed to feel that as well. Like children's, we, our nervous system, our parents regulate our nervous system until we're about 21 to 25. So if you've been working on uh, regulating your nervous system in a deeper way since when you were their age, then they reap those benefits too. And I think that's so important for, um, for us to realize that when we do this work, it may feel like it's all about us, but just other people around us will feel that difference. And especially if you're a parent and you have a child who's under the age of 21, they're definitely experiencing that difference. But for me, I I mean, I always, I, my parents, everyone who knew me as a kid would call me an old soul. <laughs> I mm. think at a very young age, I, I took on the weight of the world. I, I wanted to save everyone. I wanted to save everyone's pain and I saw a lot of um, stress and and trauma in my family. I personally didn't necessarily have it, in, but I saw it. 
And so I, and then experienced it in secondhand. So as a result, I think I was always searching to find a way that was different. And also my parents were very into self-development in, in a lot of ways. They, they had taken the landmark forum. They took me to the landmark forum when I was like 12. Uh, so I was always, I think, immersed in the world of, of growth. And I just had this deep desire to feel good within myself. And so I chose the path of, yeah, like it makes sense from a 13 year old's perspective. If I, I love to bake. So if I do this for a living, then that, that would make me happy for my life. Like that just makes so much sense. And so I think my desire to feel good propel and coupled with my love to learn propelled me to make these shifts and awakenings sooner. And as a result, I feel so inspired, honored, and compelled to share what is possible now that you don't have to wait for a terrible diagnosis in your family, or you don't have to wait for something that's like going to shock you awake in order to feel better. And I, so that's kind of my mission now is, is showing what is possible that we don't have to live feeling that, uh, that internal burnout, that internal drain disconnection from ourselves all of the time. And it's, it's not just who, how you're wired. You're not just born to be a perfectionist and that's just how you're supposed to be for the rest of your life. Like that's, that's not how I see it anymore. I'm a firm believer that we can be free. Absolutely. I agree with you too. So do you have a sense of when that perfection, well, two things, when and why or how that perfection mass became your way of coping, how that became your pattern? Yeah. Um, You know, I think it's a perfection is fear of failure. A lot of the time fear, fear of failure, always looking at trying to be, to be good, believing that I'm not there's, I feel like the human condition is where we are born. We, as we grow and we see things happen around us, we automatically in turn create associations that we believe that we're at fault or we are bad in some way. So I, for me, I think that I tried to be as good as I could and not make mistakes and not, not do anything so that my, my family wouldn't experience a, they wouldn't get stressed out. Basically I was working to try to manipulate everyone's else's emotions around me, but I didn't know that, but I just thought if I like, I don't want to upset anyone. So I'm just going to try and, just be a good girl and do all the things that I'm supposed to do and, you know, get, get a attention that way. So I think that there's a, it's an interesting question because I haven't really answered that out loud and yeah. <laughs> maybe ever, but awesome. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, what we do so here on masks off. We take the masks off and we explore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've definitely answered it in my journal, but not publicly. <laughs> and what but, I yeah. hear, what I hear, what I just heard you say is that behind that perfection mask, there is a layer of the people pleaser mask. So like, yes. that's what I really focus on with clients is to go from people pleasing and perfecting to powerful. And when I heard you say that, I just tried to be a good girl and just try to like make sure everyone was okay, that everyone around me was happy and okay. Because, because why in turn, if everyone is okay, then you can relax your nervous system, right? Because what I think I'm hearing or picking up on is that 
if there was in, if there was stress going on in the family and that was causing your nervous system to react as a little girl, then what you, and correct me if I'm wrong, if, if, or if I'm projecting is that you subconsciously learned that if I just please, and I perfect, and I'm a good girl and I'm quiet and I do everything right, then my world will feel safer. Yeah. Quote unquote. For sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And there's also in, in our culture, we are taught that we are responsible for other people's emotions, right? If, you yeah. know, in school, Sally hurts Billy's feelings, then Sally go and apologize. You hurt his feelings. Yeah. But in actuality, we have no power over other people's emotions. And I did not know that. And when I discovered that, that was a huge, huge, profound moment in my life when I realized that I am responsible for my own emotions and other people are allowed to have their emotions as well, including ones that might not feel very comfortable for me to be around but that's okay. And they're allowed to have that. And I'm allowed to feel how I want in that space as well. Absolutely. And we're not taught that you're hundred percent, right. You know, we're, we're not taught that it is okay to have feelings. If anything, we're taught, don't feel that way, you know, push it down, right. Just push yes. all of that down. And then that's how these patterns are birthed by pushing yeah. down. Cause then we have to find a way to cope when we're little kids. Um, I just finished reading. I don't know if you read, I just finished reading living untethered by Michael Singer. Have you Mm, read? I've only read the untethered soul. I love him. He's great. Okay. So I did not read the untethered soul. I read this one first, so I'll go back and read the other, but he talks about it or calls them samskaras. Yes. So like the samskaras are like the blockages. It's the patterns. It's the masks that we, that are created because we aren't taught. We don't know how, when we're kids. And then even as we become adults, when a thought or a feeling comes in, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to separate ourselves and just watch it flow. We just, Oh, Oh my goodness. Like there, you know, Sally just yelled at me or is mean. Oh, oh, like I feel horrible. Push it down, push it down. Or mom's yelling at me. Oh my God, I must be bad. Push it down. Let me perfect. Let me perform. You know? So that's how all that stuff happens. And we don't know that we are the ocean as Tara Brock says this all the time. We are the ocean and our thoughts and our emotions are the waves on the ocean. We identify as the waves, but we're not the waves. We're the ocean. We're that vast ocean that is, you know, all encompassing, all knowing it's still, it's divine, it's consciousness, it's whatever you want to call it. And then the waves, which are very susceptible to changing all the time, just like our thoughts and our emotions are, are separate from that. It's a part of the ocean, but it's not the ocean. Sure. It's just an experience that comes and goes. And we have, I mean, resisting the emotions is requires so much energy. We think it's easier, but it requires so much energy. It's like trying to shove a beach ball underneath the surface of the water. And then when you least expect it, it just pops back up in your face so much stronger. 
versus learning how to process and and release allows us to expand and also allows us to burn some scars yeah. uh which is a teaching we just, we're not taught we need we need to be taught how to process emotions we need to be taught emotional intelligence as as kids and we're just not in the society but you know maybe that's changing now through conversations like this and Absolutely. so many amazing books and speakers and leaders so and i know that you do great work in the world so do you want to share what you do and how how i mean cuz first of all you're you love meditation and you're into meditation so that in and of itself is a tool and skill to help deal with all of this what else do you do to help people um for lack of better words take their masks off and heal from all of this these samskaras yes for sure uh, i do a lot of work in samskaras as i've been a yoga teacher as well but i'm a meditation teacher and a yoga teacher and personal development coach but yeah, I mean, I see meditation is such an in incredible experience and is one that allows you to actually not only just take in that information that our thoughts and our feelings are just the waves, but to actually experience it and experience what it feels like to be who you really are underneath, to be that vast ocean. It gives you a, a real tangible experience of it throughout time that continues to expand. So for me, I, I actually have a, a program that is called inner critic freedom, where I help women learn how to transform that inner critic that actually creates a barrier between ourselves and our inner light, our truth, our, our desires, the impact that we want to make and the freedom that is available to us. And we help remove that and allow yourself to stop looking out there for the answers, stop judging yourself and making that inner critic louder and instead reconnect to yourself so that the inner inner light, inner power, all of that wonderful stuff has the freedom to expand and continue to, to just effortlessly remove those masks because then then the focus can be on what is possible and what feels good rather than what I want to let go of and what is wrong. And that is a huge, huge pattern that I love to work in. So, um, so yeah, and I, I have a podcast as well, but it's amazing, amazing work. And yeah. I now experience life in such a dramatically different way than I used to, which is just shows me what is possible because I never knew that I could feel the way that I do now. And like I was saying earlier, it's now my mission to share what is possible with others. So do you feel like, the mask, because you're, you have said that you wore the people pleaser mask. Do you, well, let me ask you this. Do you still find the people, I'm sorry, the perfection mask still creeping up? Do you still see it show up in your life today? Um, I would say probably not, not anymore. After, um, after repetition of doing the other way, now the other way is second nature. And, uh, I, yeah, I would say I really don't have that feeling of need to be perfect anymore. Uh, the people pleasing, maybe sometimes it it comes in, but it's now more of an option rather than a demand. And I see it as like, a, oh, this is one thing you could do. And then I'm aware of it and then change course. So that one I imagine will also become a thing that is no longer and what is replaced will be second nature. 
So where is the people pleaser the hardest for you? Is it um, boundary setting? You say yes when you want to say no, or you put other people's needs and feelings ahead of your own. Where do you, where have you seen that show up the most for you? Um, it's actually interesting because I feel like that work of shifting out of being a people pleaser is the most freeing <laughs> and however difficult it's the most freeing because that uh, recognizing stepping into my own emotions and processing my emotions, allowing my emotions, but also allowing the emotions of others is something that is something that I experience now and that I teach my students as well. But that enables me to be in the presence of someone having an experience that in the past I would have tried to change my own behavior to change theirs. And now I, I don't feel the need for that. I would say the thing that probably clings clings on sometimes is, is sometimes setting an uncomfortable boundary that immediately I'll, I'll have that urge to go back to, oh no, I have to give up my needs for theirs. And I, I don't do it anymore, but I have to do the I need to remove the the barriers, the blocking, the things that are blocking me from from what I see as the truth inside. And once I remove that, then I feel much more free and affirmed to do it. Even it may still be scary, it may still feel very uncomfortable, but at least I can keep. I, I find the right reason why that enables me to remind myself every time I want to go back and people please and question and I could say, no, like I understand, like that makes sense, sweetheart. I know I hear you. I know you want to be safe and we're doing this instead. And this is, this is, this is right. And then it feels better. And then I, I move forward. So I would say it's probably largely overcome as well, but just it, something that I'm still, that isn't quite as second nature with boundary setting as, as the other things are. I love what you just named. You said it's okay, sweetheart. And so that is a practice that I use as well. Um, and, you know, I use it particularly when I'm trying to step outside my comfort zone. If I'm doing something new with social media, if I'm trying to put something out on, you know, TikTok or something, and I'm concerned about judgment or, you know, just anytime I'm going in the arena to do something brave, I start to get really, you know, fearful of that's the first natural go-to feeling. And then it's like, not, no, it's, it's okay, sweetheart. And then I create the inner safety, like it's okay. You're okay. Everything is okay. Yes. This is scary. And we're going to do it anyway. I'm here for you. You know, that whole kind of like internal self-soothing. It's my adult self stepping in and comforting my inner child because it's my inner child that is afraid to step out and do something scary. And sure. it makes a huge difference when I do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm glad that, that you enables that. you to stop fighting against yourself and instead just allows you to feel what it is that you're feeling and then move forward anyway. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I love it. So, um, and then I guess the only other question, I think you have touched upon it, but if you have like a direct correlation, would you say that the masks that you've worn have led you to the work you're doing now? Yes, for sure. I, I think the, I didn't know that my, perfection mask was something that was 
causing some internal turmoil. Like I said, in the pastry world, it was something that had to be, it was, was like the thing that enabled you to be a good pastry chef. That being said, if I, if I just as a side note, I, sometimes I fantasize about going back to the pastry world now, coupled with, with my masks off and with the skills that I have now, I know that I could enjoy the experience and go after those old dreams if I wanted to. I just have different dreams now, but I I just want to make that that clear that I'm not saying that the pastry world is only perfectionism and you can't be happy in it. It's that you can, you can do everything that you're doing right now, but you don't have to feel the discomfort and the inner turmoil that you're experiencing if you work through that. And then you're, you'll be free to do what it is that you're doing. You might discover that you really want to do that thing, or you might discover that you don't want to do that thing and something else is a desire within you. But, but yeah, so coming back to your question, having that perfection mask. I didn't know that I, that it wasn't serving me, but I knew that something wasn't. And the, the people pleasing the perfection was something that was not serving me. I, I will never, I tell this story quite a bit and I think it's a, it's just such a profound moment to look back on that my very first wedding cake that I had an opportunity to make was a big deal. It was a friend of mine in towards the end, right before we graduated that his brother was getting married and his brother said, Hey, like, I'd love one of your friends to do the wedding cake. Will you see who would want to do it? And I loved to do wedding cakes at the time. So that was a dream of mine. So I ended up making their wedding cake. I spent so much, so much time making these flowers for it It was a three tiered chocolate square cake with chocolate roses. And I went to the venue. My mom helped me deliver it. I set it up. And she was like, okay, let's, let's take a picture of you with it. And I immediately did not want to. And she's like, no, we have to take a picture. Come on. This is a big deal. And I was like, okay. And this picture, if I look at it now, my hands are in like a tight fists at my sides. My shoulders are hiked up near my ears. I'm smiling, but you know, the fakest of smiles and you can see my whole body is riddled with tension. And all I remember was staring at all of the flaws on that cake, only seeing the ways that I failed, only seeing the ways that I didn't do enough rather than acknowledging what I did accomplish and really absorbing that joy of that moment, celebrating myself, receiving that. I did not know how to receive that. And so I sabotaged that joy and made it so much more terrible without realizing it. So that kind of thing I experienced a lot of the time and that created that that urge to know that it's like something deep down inside of me, my, my true inner wisdom knew better and knew that there was a better way, a way that I did not have to throw myself away, right? Coming full circle to that quote that I believe that I needed to throw myself away to be better in order to feel better. And instead, meditation practice introduced me to this. And now everything that I do is all about befriending who I am already. So like befriending the perfectionist mask, befriending the people pleaser, befriending all these things it allows us to actually be free of them. And it's counterintuitive, but it is such a beautiful process. I I love that story. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that story. What a great example. I 100% identify and relate. I've had so many experiences like that. And just really, it's really amazing and awesome how you've been able to take those experiences and that time in your life and transform it 
to where you are today, to be able to befriend those parts of yourself. And you're hundred percent right. It's not about like cutting off or throwing away those parts of ourselves. in order to be whole. We have to integrate all those parts. We're not cutting anything out. We're not throwing anything away. We're integrating every part of ourself. And absolutely. And that's, I mean, also what you're saying there, which I love is, is realizing that we're whole already realizing that there is no broken. There is nothing that's wrong. It's integrating everything and realizing that we already have everything we need. And, and the things that we think need. are like, quote unquote, broken and that we have been conditioned to think are broken are those samskaras. That's all they are. They're just patterns or just samskaras. They're, they're, we came into this world fully whole, fully, and we still are and always have been. It's just the patterns and the social conditioning and generational patterns and energy from past lives are what all that's all that it is. It's not who we are. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I love this. Okay. So I have a few questions for you. Rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. (laughs) Well, and this one will be apropos for you because you said you're a foodie. Mm. What is your favorite food? Oh, my favorite food probably would be pasta with meatballs. Love it. Yeah. It's, it's classic home, home food. Love it. Me too. Me too. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Uh, I would, I would probably, I mean, there's so many places I want to go, but the, the first thing that comes to mind is to walk the Camino de Santiago through, uh, through Europe. And that's something that my husband and I are, are planning to do in the next few years that I really want to do. So I would love to do that. Awesome. That is awesome. What is your favorite way to take care of yourself? My favorite way to take care of myself is probably shifting into feeling good and allowing myself to feel good, feel joy, appreciate the beauty around me. I mean, being in nature moving my body, all those things, being still, but coming down to it is really allowing myself to feel good. I hear you. What would, if you have a bucket list, what would be the number one thing on your bucket list? To through hike the Appalachian trail. Awesome. Name one book that changed your life. Ooh, so many. (laughs) So many. I know my guests hate this question. (laughs) Yeah, I would say probably just in light of this conversation, the first one that that shifted me onto this path was The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Mm, That was one of my first as well. How can um, listeners contact you if they wanted to find you? Sure. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram, Rebecca Doring Meditation. You can... uh, find me on my podcast, the deep rooted bliss podcast. And also if you'd like, you can grab a free meditation, uh, actually a free self-compassion ritual, which mm-hmm. is a, a few different uh, meditations and journaling prompts to kind of put into practice what we were talking about throughout the episode. So if you'd like, I can offer a link for your audience that's, Perfect. that can bring you there, but it's um, www.deeprootedbliss.com forward slash compassion. Fantastic. And I will have all that information in the show notes as well. So I will get that from you. 
I am so glad that we had this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. Is there anything else that you want to say before we close? Mm, thank you so, so much for having me. And I just want to, I guess my my parting words would just be to just remember that if if anyone has listened, has resonated with my story and has felt some of the ways that I used to feel that it is possible for you to feel far more joy and freedom than you know is than you're currently experiencing and keep keep listening to podcasts like this keep keep doing the surround yourself with people with environments that are a few steps ahead of you on that journey guiding you and showing you the way back to yourself because that's really what it's all about it's learning how to befriend ourselves and have our own backs and so whatever you can do to do that will be immensely freeing and will not only benefit you, but will benefit your family, your friends, your community, your job, the world, everyone. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Oh, thank you. It has been. And I, I totally agree with everything you said. So thank you again for being here. And thank you everybody for listening to this episode of Masks Off. If you enjoyed what you heard today, I would love it if you subscribed or commented, give a thumbs up, and I'll see you next time on Masks Off.